0: Hi, I'm Curious Svetanth, and welcome to Season 6 of my podcast. Today, my guest is Dawn Neo, who leads Global Food Partners' corporate engagement work. She has studied food technology and communications, and has worked as a journalist and an editor earlier. Hi Dawn, welcome to my show. Hello Vedan. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is um this is going to be really fun. I think so too. <laughs> so Dawn, you have told me that you considered yourself a food geek. I'm curious to know how different is that from being a foodie?
1: Um yeah, that's a question that um people ask me as well. I think um I think a foodie is somebody who really appreciates food. Uh, Maybe you appreciate it for the way it looks, the way it tastes. Whereas a food geek is somebody who maybe asks questions, more questions about food, you know, to gather information. For example, um, you know, previously we had talked about this thing called Roti Prata, remember? Yeah. And so maybe a food geek, a foodie would appreciate the Roti Prata for what it is. It's delicious, it's fluffy, it's flaky, it's crispy. Um, and maybe compare it, uh, compare one shop to another uh, about how it tastes. But a food geek would um, ask questions about why is it called roti prata? <laughs> because roti means bread and prata means something like bread, a type of bread as well, right? So yeah. I think previously you mentioned that it doesn't quite make sense. And where yeah. did it come from? Like who made it? Who was the, who invented roti prata? And how is it different from um, maybe the version here in Singapore? How is it different from the one that uh, came from India? Did it come from India or did immigrants from India bring it to Singapore and then, you know, um, created something similar but different? Um, How is it consumed? Um, Is it nutritious for us? Um, How how is the process made and the ingredients that went into it, like the wheat? How is it grown? Um, uh, how are the um, farmers being compensated? So you can see that just from a simple dish, you can ask a lot of questions. You can ask about the science, um, the history, the culture, um, the nutrition, there's so many things to know about uh, food. So a food geek is interested in um, a lot of things about um, food. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. Is there something you're curious about, about a particular food item that you encountered in Singapore?
0: No, but like, I I don't think I'm a food geek or a foodie, but I just really like food, different types of it.
1: Mm-hmm. And what's your favorite dish so far?
0: So far in Singapore, mm-hmm. like a local Singaporean dish? Um. Yeah. Uh, me goreng.
1: Right. Fascinating. And do you think that you can find me goreng in um, other countries?
0: Yeah, in Malaysia. In Malaysia, actually, mostly Indonesia.
1: Right, right, right. And where do you think that dish come, came from? Um, I think Indonesia. So interesting. Do you know what it means, me goreng? No. So goreng, I think, is a Malay word or Indonesian word that means fried. So me means noodles. So it literally means fried noodles. <laughs> <laughs> but there are different ways they can cook it like mee goreng in some parts of Indonesia can taste different from other parts or the Singapore version can be different from um, uh, Malaysian personally I like bihun goreng which is the white noodles um, I think the, the way they fry it is very delicious
0: hmm, yeah I've never tried that I only like whenever I go to the office centers, the only thing I try is the mee goreng
1: Ambiguoring is usually red in color, right?
0: Yeah, but sometimes it's a bit brown.
1: Hmm. I I like the white version. I mean, for bihung goreng, I like to I like it when they fry it with pepper, and then you know it's white color. It's very delicious.
0: Yeah, I've never tried that. Cool. What is food technology, and what does studying it involve?
1: Um, food technology. I think is when. People study food science. Uh, Maybe they study the biology, chemistry, and physics of food. And they use that knowledge to um, either preserve food or to make new types of food. Um, For example, thousands of years ago, you have to harvest food fresh every day, you know, and food doesn't keep because you don't have a refrigerator. So if you learn about food technology and you learn about science, you can learn to how to make the food last for longer. For example, in a way that you package it in a can or in a, in a in a bag, or if you process it in a certain way, like, for example, if you add salt to it or sugar to it, it can last you for months or years and not spoil. So that's a food preservation. Or, for example, if you learn about um, the science of food, you can create new types of food. We can make vegetable protein taste and look like meat. Uh, have you tried impossible meat? Um, yeah, but not a fan of it. But you can you can tell that it's a new type of um food, right? That's created yeah. from plants. So that's the work of a food technologist to understand the properties of different ingredients and then put them together in a lab and to create new types of food as well.
0: Wow, that sounds really, really, really interesting. And what do you think is better? Do you think packaging it in a can is better or a bag is better or even in a box?
1: Mm, the different types of food uh, behaves differently when you package them. For example, when you want to have, say, pumpkin soup or pumpkin curry, you know, um, you can either cook it at home, you know, uh, fresh. But then if you want to keep it, there are different ways to preserve it. For example, if you put it through a freeze dryer, you can freeze it at very, very low temperatures and it becomes powder. And then you can keep this powder for much longer. And the next time, and you can also package it in a box and easily sell it in a supermarket and then it doesn't spoil. So when you want to consume soup again, you can just add water to that powder and cook it and it becomes soup again. Or you can put it in a can. So I'm sure you have seen like pumpkin soup, so so in a can yeah. and put it uh, in a plastic bag and then put it in a chiller or in a freezer. And then, you know, so when you reheat it, you can also consume the soup. So there are different ways to um, present it and to preserve it. And uh, when you heat it up again, sometimes you can taste the difference in a food that comes from a can or from a bag or from powder. You know, do you think you can tell the difference?
0: Yeah, like I had this soup from soup which is in a powder. Mm-hmm. And then when I went out, we went to a fair price and um, my mom bought these um canned tomato soup. And I think the canned one tastes tastes a bit better.
1: <laughs> the canned one tastes a bit better. So it's like a personal preference. Um some consumers prefer uh, the canned type, some prefer the fresher type. Some um, for travel or for longer storage, some would prefer the powdered type. So, the different users for each type of preservation, and that's why they all exist uh, on the market because the consumers get to choose.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder if they're going to introduce a new k- kind
1: a new kind of uh, soup or a new kind of preservation?
0: Both, like maybe if there's like a kind of soup where it's just water and. And, like, all you need to do is probably add a lemon and then it
1: becomes soup. Yeah, that's fascinating. You can invent new types of soup. And new things and new technologies get invented all the time. For example, in Singapore, you may, you know, we have a lot of canned food. But in order to heat up the can, uh, the contents of the canned food, you have to first open it and then, you know, heat it up using the stove or the the oven. But I've seen when I was travelling in Japan, a type of can that has a heater underneath the can. So after you you pull something on the can, uh, heat is generated and the food inside the can gets warm. Wow. So you don't need a stove. Yeah, you don't need a stove or you don't need an oven and the food becomes warm. So very, easy, very easily you can bring it along when you travel and you can have warm soup or something warm from the can to eat. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah.
0: I've yeah. heard loads of things in Japan, like bottles, hot water, like, and stuff like that.
1: Exactly. The Japanese are very advanced in food technology and food packaging. And they're really like the leaders in this field when it comes to how do you present food in an attractive way? How do you, pre- uh, how do you shape them, color them, uh, package them in ways that really appeal to the consumers? So I used to go to Japan a lot and go to the supermarkets and study like what are the different types of food that is interesting and what can I learn from um, the people that uh, the brains that created the food over there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Food technologists, I think also does this thing called sensory evaluation where after you create a recipe, you have this scientific process where you serve everybody a small quantity of the food and you get their feedback about uh, the particular dish. And uh, then you use that feedback to improve the formula. So that's also part of uh, what the food technology does.
0: Yeah, I've never been to Japan or anywhere where they package food differently. Like I've only been to like Singapore or India where it's just... Normal.
1: Like. have you been to don don donkey
0: yeah no i've never been inside it, what i've seen
1: it. Mm-hmm. don don donkey or daiso like all japanese supermarkets like media you can go in and um, have a look at the types of food available there and it's mind-boggling how many different types of like say seaweed crackers they have or different types of soup they have and um, the way they package rice and um, it's fascinating
0: yeah, but in Daiso, they have these like, these jellies, which you don't get anywhere else and they taste really good. What flavour are those? Um, they have different kinds. There's orange, there's peach, there's also like, just sparkling water jelly.
1: Sparkling water jelly? Oh, I've never tried that. I like to go to Daiso and have a look. It tastes really nice. Do did they, did they taste like water or do they add flavourings to it?
0: I don't know, it tastes like sparkling water.
1: Like fizzy? Oh, uh, yeah, let's, yeah. Interesting. And I wonder how they what they added to the jelly to make it taste fizzy, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's interesting to ask questions. Can you share
0: some fun facts about food?
1: Mm, do you like potatoes, Vedant? Yeah. Do you know that potatoes is technically not classified as vegetables? It isn't it isn't. yeah, a lot of people think that potatoes are vegetables, but they're actually tubers. Did you study that in your science class? No So potatoes are technically tubers and the World Health Organization doesn't classify it as a vegetable. So it's only considered a vegetable because there's no like separate or unique category to classify tubers or potatoes. So it's the n- so it's normally known as the vegetable. And people still debate about that because some people feel that, hey, I think on on my plate, the potato goes into the vegetable section or I buy potatoes in the vegetable section. But uh, scientifically, uh, they're not a vegetable, um, but uh, they're very starchy type of food. So they're considered a starchy food and not like a vegetable <laughs> and they have uh, seeds or eyes in the potatoes and each of them can grow out to become a plant and the starch in the potato becomes the food the fuel for the plant to grow and because they're so um, self-contained and they have a very long shelf life they were the first vegetables planted in space oh wow yeah, the astronauts brought it to space because, um, number one, they can eat the potatoes and, you know, um, gain some, um, eat it as a food. But when they plant it, uh, the, the plant itself can remove the carbon dioxide from the air cabin and contribute oxygen. So it's also good for the environment of uh, the spacecraft. So mm-hmm. potatoes are, I think, fascinating. Have you seen the movie, I think it was Mars, mm-hmm. where... Uh, in that movie, the astronaut uh, was uh, stuck in Mars or in, in space and he can't come back to Earth and he needed to find a way to survive because he ran out of his food. Now, the, you know, as an astronaut, when you go out, you predict that maybe you'll be out for two years or something and you bring enough food for two years. But he was stuck in space for many, many years and he needed a way to have food and water. So he, he realised that he had vegetables. And uh, he had potatoes and he started growing potatoes and he started his own potato farm on Mars. Wow. And that's where I learned that, oh, potatoes uh, can last for so long, you know, being kept uh, as a potato. And they're a great source of nutrition as well.
0: Yeah. Like, I learned something similar a few weeks ago, like like peanuts aren't actually nuts, they're (laughs) legumes. I thought
1: (laughs) I was the one uh, who uh, raised that when I was in Indonesia with your dad. And I said, do you know that peanuts are not nuts? And it created this debate among people that uh, they were saying peanuts are nuts. And some people just refused to believe me. Um, So I think maybe your dad did some research after that. (laughs) Peanuts are technically not nuts. So it's fascinating. And do you know that, you know, the orange juice? Have you ever had orange juice in a box? or in a carton yeah and some of them they label on the packaging that it contains real fruit inside and when you pour it out sometimes you see little packages or little pouches that look like the fruit of the orange yeah and they look very perfect like perfectly teardrop and then when you squeeze them there's juice that comes out of it So many years ago, when I was a journalist, when I was in China, I came across this company that said that they only make one product, and they they make this particular pouch that goes into fruit juice, (laughs) and they manufacture so much of it that they export to America, and then um, the food drink or the juice manufacturer add it to the juice, so that they can tell consumers that there is. Real fruit inside. But it's actually made in a factory in China.
0: Wow, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, because when, you know when you ever you squeeze an orange um, using a juicer, the fruit itself gets a bit damaged and it doesn't look perfect, right? Yeah. Have you ever done that? And then, you know, when you actually have orange juice uh, that's homemade, it, the pulp that you get is not perfectly shaped and some of it is broken already that's why when you want to sell a product to a consumer i mean some juice manufacturers thought hey you know it looks better if we have it manufactured somewhere and it looks perfect (laughs) and we can add it to our juices that's why uh, companies like this uh, the one that i found in shanghai uh, exist so technically it's not real (laughs) fruit, but it looks like fruit and if you don't ask questions about the food that you get, you just accept it as real food. But if you ask more questions, you realise that, hey, somebody made it, made it in a factory. I actually never knew that. <laughs> it makes, you, makes you question other things that you find in the supermarket, right? So yeah. next time you go to the supermarket and you go to the juice section, you try to notice um, the different categories of fruit juices out there. Some of them are called juice drinks some of them are allowed to be called juices because uh, anything that's allowed to be called juices has to contain, I think, at least 30% real juice. But if it's less than 30%, um, they're not allowed to be labeled as a juice. They have to be labeled a juice drink. <laughs> so they don't contain a lot of real juice or real food, but they're a drink that contains fruit. So the big difference.
0: Yeah. About, like, juices, I found this joke a few years ago about juices. um, And it was like this. Why did the boys stare at the orange juice? Why? Because it said concentrate.
1: (laughs) Very interesting joke. And that's right. A lot of juices nowadays uh, is made from concentrate. It's not made from fresh fruit. So that's also something to look out for when you go to, like, shop at a supermarket you turn the the packaging around and look at the ingredients list at the back and you can see what exactly is made of um, whether it contains things that are more natural uh, more fresh or whether it's from something that's very processed um, like concentrate
0: (laughs) yeah you were a journalist and an editor what type of journalist were you and what kind of stories did you work on
1: Um, So when I started my first job as a journalist, I wrote about uh, food and food technology because that's what I studied. So I wrote about the food industry in Asia and food technology that was coming out from different parts of the world. So I had to travel and talk to people, talk to farmers, talk to um, people who make the ingredients that goes into food, for example, that juice that company in China that makes the pouches that look like food. And I visited, um, um, for example, Tetra Pak that makes the cartons that yeah. make keep food fresh. Before Tetra Pak was invented, uh, food was um, either fresh or they were preserved in cans that were very heavy and sometimes they get rusty. And when Tetra Pak was invented, um, the packaging of food became very lightweight. And, you know, they can keep for years and years and not spoil. So um, it's a type of technology that uh, allows consumers to have food that's like harvested or made like years ago. So um, I was a journalist. I wrote about food technology and uh, I traveled a lot and I talked to a lot of people. I remember going to India many, many years ago uh, when India didn't have any supermarkets and everything was fresh and people had to buy everything fresh except for spices and um, dried goods. Uh, vegetables don't travel very well. Everything has to be locally grown. Um, it was fascinating. I traveled um, two days from Chennai to some small fishing villages and I interviewed the farmers there about um, this brand new German machine that they uh, bought to preserve food, and it allowed me to see uh, many parts of the world that uh, my friends were not able to travel to at that time, because I was going to places that were not touristy, and I got to see a lot of um, um, the real part of the country, I think.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So, and after that, I started to write um, other stories about travel, about um, health, Uh, about lifestyle and um, then I became editor and I managed projects but um, I enjoyed my time um, writing about the food industry in Asia.
0: What what was your favorite article that you wrote like the most fun one?
1: Most fun? I think it was an article that was not related to food it was about sound healing and i had to do a lot of research and talk to people about different types of sound healing and i discovered that it was a very ancient practice as well like the romans used to use uh, the romans and the greeks used to use sound healing to heal broken bones wow well, i didn't know that yeah and they discovered that very low frequencies help bones heal quicker and you know these days we use sound in different ways for example um you have ultrasound, and ultrasound is a type of sound. You know, at very um unique frequencies, and uh, they found that it also helped bones heal quicker. Um, so the Romans and the Greeks actually discovered something that you know actually works. And have you ever thought about how the pyramids um, were constructed? Like very, very large, heavy stones were moved, and uh, cut uh, in a very precise way, and to form the pyramids. I've watched documentaries on that. And there were theories about how um, sound at certain frequencies are able to lift very heavy objects and transport them. So they figured that the Romans, uh, or rather the Egyptians, had some kind of um, device to create sounds at very high frequencies, and they lifted those stones and carried them for a particular distance. So at every few hundred meters, there will be this particular instrument, and people will play this instrument to create a ding, kind of sound to continue carrying that piece of stone over long distances and up uh, to its right place in the pyramid. So, yeah, it's fascinating. So when I learned about sound healing, I realized that we know so little about about that. And at certain frequencies, sound can also help our, our bones, our bodies, our organs heal. So I became very fascinated with that. And I went to um, attend sound baths and um, I benefited a lot from that. And sometimes you can feel very relaxed after a sound bath session. Have you ever tried that? No. Would you like to try it, sound bath?
0: Mm.
1: Well, I mean, sure. Mm. Where you have different instruments played and Um, different instruments played and they resonate at different frequencies. And these frequencies can uh, make you feel very calm and relaxed, but it can also help um, some injuries heal. Oh, that sounds interesting. That was uh, one article that I remembered that I really enjoyed working on. Um, Yeah, about sound healing.
0: Oh, that sounds really interesting. Sound healing. Mm -hmm. After all these experiences, How do you start working to help animals? Mm,
1: Do you remember this lady by the name of Chetna? Yes. So Chetna was the one um, who hired your uh, dad as well. But for me, I met Chetna by chance one day when she was in Singapore uh, many, many years ago. And we sat across each other at a social dinner and we just started talking about... um, the food industry and uh, uh, what, what we observe and how it can be better, how practices can be better. And we became um, friends and she told me about her work and I thought that um, it's such a meaningful way to create change or to help the animals. And, you know, when I was learning about food and food technology, I also learned about how animals were treated on farms. And I thought this is a great way to help them. So when she asked whether I would like to join um, Humane Society International, I said yes. So that's how um, I began the work and it was just by chance that I met her. But uh, it was a wonderful uh, meeting and wonderful opportunity. Then after that, I met your dad. I met um, many other people that also help animals.
0: And then you joined GFP, right?
1: That's right, and then yeah, some um, colleagues asked me to join Global Food Partners, and I said yes.
0: I know about a lot of very interesting hobbies that you have, from photography to gaming to architecture and arts. Can you first tell me about the games you play?
1: Oh, I like games. Um, do you play games, that? Yeah. So PlayStation games or Xbox games. So I started playing games uh, when games were on the computer, and then when the consoles came out, like PlayStation 1. I, you know, I played the games on my friend's PlayStation 1. Then subsequently, I bought it. And I bought every version since then, PlayStation 1, 2, 3, 4. <laughs> and I enjoyed playing playing different kinds of games, like racing games, uh, where you pretend you're a race car driver, and you choose the car that you like, and you improve the car and to go faster. And you race different kinds of tracks. Um, um, I played um, Street Fighter, uh, but my favorite types of games are role-playing games. Uh, we call them RPGs, where you're a character in an adventure story and you go through different um, stages of the story and you solve puzzles and maybe you defeat your enemies to progress to different stages. And you get to do different fun things um, in the game, like you know, maybe you get to be a soldier, you get to be a spy, you get to drive fast cars, you get to solve interesting puzzles. You get to be a sniper. I like the variety of um, roles that I get to play and the different adventures that I get to go on. And you get to explore different worlds. Some of these worlds can be like ancient Italy or ancient China or fantasy worlds that don't really exist in reality. And you also make friends along the way. You make allies to reach your goal. Um, I just find it fascinating. <laughs> so games bring me to another world and it helps me um, learn strategies as well. How about you? What kind of games do you like to play?
0: Um, I don't have a console or anything, but on my phone or iPad, I like playing things like F1 Mobile or FIFA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that kind of games.
1: Yeah. So F1 Mobile would be really cool as well because you get to race a car, right? You want to be faster than everybody else and you learn different ways to approach a corner so that you can make that corner very successfully uh, and uh, be faster than other people.
0: Yeah, my favourite track on there is Singapore because I'm really very used to it because I've seen it in real life. So every time I go there, qualify, hold position number one, Wow, the race, I could p one of it.
1: Wow, how long did it take for you to get there, to learn uh, to get to the first position? Um, uh,
0: not that long because maybe about two or three rounds.
1: Mm-hmm. Does it make you feel like you want to be a race car driver some someday? Yeah, but I
0: don't think I'll be able to.
1: <laughs> Between, I think you also like to fly, right? Like be a pilot. Yeah. So, in games, you can do that. You can be quite a pilot. I
0: have, and, like, uh-huh. I have a game called like Airline Commander where like you, your phone is like basically the, the airplane steering wheel, and you, like the yoke, and you can control. You can land, take off, fly.
1: Yeah, and you get to if you are in a game where you um compete with other people, you can practice like shooting at your enemies <laughs> and doing different maneuvers in space. I think that's very, very cool, very fun. Yeah. You can pretend to be top gun as well.
0: Yeah, I did this VR thing where like I was in a top gun plane and I and I did a bunch of tricks.
1: Yeah. It makes you feel, uh, it would be even more cool if they try to simulate the environment of uh, the air pressure because when you're at very high altitudes or very low altitudes, the pressure, you know, the your, year, your ears pop and the pressure is different. So if the cabin itself can simulate that, it's even more realistic. Yeah. It'd be fun if there's such a place in Singapore.
0: Yeah. Even on the ground, you can feel that if you get a cold. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, or you can go like, um, you can visit like a real plane. I think in Bangkok, my, my nieces went to this place where uh, it's, they visited a real plane and they went to the cockpit and they saw like how things work. It can be quite cool.
0: Yeah, I did this one thing where like, it was with me and my friends where we sat in an actual um, Boeing 737 cockpit. It was an actual one taken from like a plane that was scrapped.
1: Wow, where was that?
0: It was in Singapore, in the Singapore
1: Flyer. Oh, I didn't know that. I would love to have uh, gone as well. Is it still there?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's there. We did this, me and my friends did this like a few weeks ago.
1: Wow. I would love to see that. <laughs> I have friends who are like pilots, but... um. I think it's fascinating to to learn how to fly a plane because it's a huge responsibility and a lot of things to learn, you know, to fly a plane well.
0: I have like a I have like a bunch of not bunch of like I have one plane model mm-hmm. and I also have like two or three two or three Lego planes.
1: Right. What types of planes are are they? Are they commercial planes like Boeing seven three seven or
0: My model is not the Lego one, it's a
1: Concorde Mm -hmm. Air France. Nice.
0: And my Lego ones are standard planes.
1: Yeah. It it would be nice to actually be on a Concorde, like the fastest plane, one of the fastest planes in the world, right? But I think they no longer fly. Yeah,
0: 1976 to
1: 2003.
0: Yeah. It says it on the box.
1: (laughs) Nice. There's also some some kinds of small planes that fly so fast that they cannot be seen on a radar. Yeah, like spy planes.
0: Mm-hmm. I I saw this actual commercial plane which accidentally went at the speed of sound. I think it was
1: a uh, Bombardier
0: Global 8000.
1: Wow. And the, uh, the, is everything okay with the plane? Like it's not built to go that fast, right? No. Oh. They're fixing it. <laughs> Maybe the pilot broke the rules that they're not supposed to go that quickly. Yeah. It can be dangerous if it goes that quickly.
0: Yeah. What kind of photography that do you enjoy?
1: Um, many different types. I think um, I like portraits. So I like um, talking to people and taking their portraits and telling their stories. Um, and also I like street photography. And because street photography uh, is almost very organic, like you don't plan how the shoot is going to look like. Like I've done studio photography before, where you do a lot of planning, you set up the lights, you tell the models and the people how to pose. And I feel that that's interesting, but I like something that allows me to think on my feet. So I like to go out to the street with just a small camera, and then you capture things that are happening in front of you there, right? Uh, at that moment and you have to quickly adjust your position uh, to capture the best angles and look for the best light and look at what's interesting in a particular scene so it keeps me um, just on my toes and uh, you never know what you're going to find what do you expect from a particular session so that's the kind of photography that I enjoy the most like going out and uh, discovering and exploring new things and also capturing something that is real. How about you? Do you like photography?
0: Um, but I don't it's not my hobby, but I do like it. Like my mom has a camera and sometimes I use it. And on my phone, sometimes I just take photos. It has a pretty good camera.
1: Mm-hmm. And it helps us remember a particular moment. Yeah. Photo. Yeah.
0: My phone has like two cameras.
1: Nice. Yeah, now now the cameras on phones are so good that I know professional photographers that use phones to take photos.
0: Yeah, I saw, I, I like on the Apple website, it was like advertising this movie which was shot on an iPhone 13 Pro Max.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, fascinating. And usually in these kind of cases, they, they attach lenses to the existing lenses you have on your phone to give you different effects but it can be done. So the phone is like a a computer that helps you process and help you capture the image. Um, Yeah, it's fascinating how phones have now become um, sometimes better cameras than cameras.
0: (laughs) Yeah. You like food and you also like photography. How do you combine your love of both?
1: Um. Sometimes I take take photos of the food that I eat, um, but mainly just to remember um, what I consume and how it tasted like, you know. So usually, yeah, usually I don't practice a lot of food photography. That would be like another job. But um, I enjoy photography before and after food. (laughs) Yeah. But I also like looking at uh, photos. I mean, there are a lot of um, creative people out there. And sometimes I do photo walks with um, other photographers. And I find that even though we are in the same place, you know, looking at the same things, but we come up with photos that look different. And, you know, it's fascinating because it really tests your, your eye, your creativity. How do you interpret a particular scene? How do you want to tell a story? What do you want to focus on? So you come back uh, afterwards for coffee and you look at each other's photos and you learn from each other and you realize that, hey, that you missed out on certain things that other people can see. Um, maybe by using a different angle, you can capture uh, a different image. So to me, uh, it's fascinating to, to learn together with other people.
0: Yeah. And like there the, the One way to take a photo would be like, from like a bird's eye view right from the top mm-hmm. yeah and in school they're like they had a photography contest and like they said take photos of nature from different angles mm-hmm.
1: and then so it's up to the way you interpret the word nature right yeah um, Nature can be plants, can be animals, can be different, different things. So uh, it really tests your creativity and allows you to explore different things. I I find it fascinating. And sometimes they take part in photo challenges as well. Like, for example, if they have a theme of light and shadow, then, you know, throughout your day, as you're going about, like, walking around, you look for these things. You look for where's the light, where's the shadow, and what interesting things can you capture, what interesting shapes are there? Um, what stories can you tell uh, from light and shadow? Um, so it's fascinating for me.
0: <laughs> it's yeah. a way
1: for me to uh, stretch myself. Would you like to take part in photo challenges in future? like
0: mm, yeah, I don't I don't know like I don't know
1: maybe maybe, yeah, like just the the competition you have in school right now, nature, you can go to different places to try to capture nature or you can try to find nature within indoors
0: yeah but the challenge only finished it happened like almost a year ago i see
1: okay what did you what did you take what photos did you take
0: um with my condo there are like loads of plants so of that Mm. nice can you share a little bit about your interest in art and architecture
1: um, I like art and architecture because uh, it's all around us um, and you can observe um, the buildings all look different and I think I first became interested in architecture because um, I noticed that you feel differently when you're in different types of buildings and I think architects do a good job in designing the buildings not only for it to be useful, but also the way it feels to people, like whether it's cool or warm. And I've been in an ancient Roman palace before, an intact Roman palace uh, when I was in Croatia. And I realized that the technology of architecture actually evolved a lot over the last few thousand years. When the Romans first built buildings, they only know how to build with bricks, right? And they knew that they have to protect um, the people inside from the temperatures outside, like when it's very cold or when it's very hot, you have to be comfortable inside. And so they decided to make the windows very, very small. So to keep the heat inside the building, because when you have a large building and it's winter, it, the people inside will feel very cold. So when you have small windows, uh, you, you try to keep the heat inside. And then as I went to other places like castles, or other types of buildings, I noticed that different humans have different ways of um, arranging things in the building to make themselves comfortable. Um, And I saw that all the windows became bigger and bigger uh, as, uh, you know, uh, civilizations developed. And now we can afford to have big windows and we can still stay warm or still stay cool indoors through the way buildings are designed. Um, And architects have to look at Um, the environment of a place before they design a particular building to make sure that it fits with the environment. So I've just found it fascinating. And I like to take uh, archi tours where architects bring you to the buildings that they design and they explain to you why they design it in a particular way and why the interiors are laid out in a certain way uh, that makes sense. So I just find it fascinating (laughs) to explore that. And uh, art as well, um, it's like photography. People have different ideas that they want to express through different ways. And um, art is not just uh, paintings. It's also, uh, you, can have, you can have a food artist that creates art out of food and uh, combine different ingredients to create a beautiful dish that you remember for years and years and years. And that's also art. And maybe you use ingredients that are different from what's normally used. Um for example, you may have like um uh chapati you know you may have like a million chapati in your life, but then you come across one person that can give you a different experience of chapati that you've never had before, and then you remember that for many many years, and that person can be also considered an artist,
0: like my mom or my grandmother, except that I've had that like. For almost all my life. <laughs> but that's yeah. the best chapati I've ever had.
1: What's the best chapati ever had? The one that your mom makes?
0: Um, yeah, my mom and my grandmother.
1: Yeah, and there are different kinds of chapati. You can add different flavors to it. Um, and it's fascinating as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. L- lastly, you also enjoy scuba diving. Can you share some
1: interesting things you've seen underwater? Mm, many many things actually um i feel that the underwater world is so beautiful um it's almost as if i'm in a national geographic documentary <laughs> sometimes on the underwater and i notice that the animals are all very free free to move and they're very colorful and i remember seeing cuttlefish zoom through the water you know the way that they propel themselves through water in spurts, and they also change colors according to the environment. And to see that, you know, with my own eyes was fascinating. And to see sea turtles swim, or to see moray eels, uh, just swim through the water in a very elegant way, it's it's beautiful. Um, I've also seen very large fishes, like fish that's like twenty meters wide. And when you see that, you notice that wow, these creatures are just so majestic, so fascinating. Um and so I just look at the fish and the fish looks at me and I wonder whether what is he thinking of me, you know, like a human. Has he seen many like me before? Um it's 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 interesting to to to, to be in that space. Um and then I see like little crabs crawling on the on the ground. Um yeah. Have you been snorkeling before?
0: No, but I uh, had like I don't know whether it's parasailing or paragliding where like they attach you, there's like a string coming from a boat and it's like you're sitting and there's a glider on top of you. I think that's paragliding.
1: Paragliding, yeah. And you get to float over water, right? Yeah. One day, if you have a chance to go snorkeling, maybe you will see some of these things as well. And uh, the underwater world is so beautiful and very natural. Like in some places, um, humans have not um, uh, built a lot of infrastructure underwater. So you get to see how nature really looks like and how the ecosystem works, right? Like um, the tiny fish feeds on the corals and then the bigger fish fish feeds on the fish, (laughs) things like that. I I remember there was one time when I was scuba diving, um, I encountered a school of barracuda. Do you know what barracudas look like? No, but I think they're a type of fish. They're type of fish that are very long and they're like torpedo shaped and they have very sharp teeth. You can Google an image of a barracuda and they eat humans. What? They can eat humans. I mean they, they're carnivores, uh, they eat other fish. So I remembered that barracudas can be very dangerous if you encounter them one-on-one uh, in when you're underwater, they can eat you up very, very quickly. Like um, piranha, you know, piranhas yeah. are very small fish, but they have very sharp teeth and they can chew through you very, very quickly when there's a lot of them. So I was scuba diving somewhere, I can't remember where, and I was surrounded by this school of barracudas. They came towards us and they started to swim around us. They form a circle around a few of us. And I was so scared, like, why are they circling us? And I remembered that uh, if a barracuda, if barracudas are in schools, they're pretty safe, they're like in a tribe, but if one of them breaks off from the tribe and come towards you, that means they want to eat you. So I remember my heart was pounding so rapidly at that time. And thankfully, no barracudas broke off and they were just in their schools and, I think maybe they were just curious about us and after a while, they swam off. But we just stayed very, very still. It's almost as if like you were seeing a bear and you didn't know what to do. So you just pretend not to move and you just like stayed there very still and let them observe you and don't don't move in a way that makes them scared. Because if they're scared, they can attack you, right? So I remember very clearly that moment of thinking that, hey, I could be eaten by a barracuda. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Fascinating.
0: Well, it's scary.
1: Scary. Yeah. You have to be very careful when you're scuba diving so that um, you stay safe. And I learned in a school how to be safe uh, when I'm scuba diving. You have to check your equipment. You have to have a buddy when you're underwater so that when you have trouble, you're able to communicate with your buddy with sign language um, that you need to go up or that you're in trouble. And your body can help you. Mm,
0: yeah. I I've never been scuba diving or snorkeling, but it sounds fun. Sounds fun. Yeah. You want to try in future? Yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: You're doing so many interesting things.
1: What do you want to be as a child? Um, uh, I wanted to be so many things as a child. I couldn't decide because um. I find so many things interesting. Um, I like reading detective stories when I was a kid. So at one point, I wanted to be a spy or a detective. Or I wanted to be... Um, what did I want to be? I wanted to be a psychologist so that I can understand humans better. I also wanted to be an astronaut when I was a kid because I found space so fascinating. And I read up a lot about... Um, the planets and outer space and I thought that it'd be really cool if I could go to space and see it for myself Um, so yeah I wanted to be many many things (laughs) and I also wanted to be a writer I wanted to be a writer I wanted to be a healer Um, it was hard you know like when I was um, going to college going to university trying to narrow it down to just one choice uh, one one field to study because I found so many things so fascinating. (laughs) How about you? What do you want to be when you were?
0: I have no idea. Like, I want to be so many things. Like, a pilot. I want to be a race car driver. I want to be, like, a cricketer or a footballer.
1: Fascinating. And now you're playing those games to practice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I hope you will find out very soon um, uh, what you want to be as well. And have fun discovering that.
0: Yeah, I hope.
1: Um, Thank you so much for coming on my show. Thank you too for having me. I had so much fun uh, talking to you. Yeah, this was very fun. Let's do this again sometimes.
0: Yeah. I learned so much. (laughs) I'm glad. Dear listeners, follow my Facebook page, Curious Vedant, to get updates on my upcoming episodes. To listen at leisure on your phone and get notified about future episodes, subscribe by searching for Curious Vedant wherever you get your podcasts, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and many more. You can also listen to my show on CuriousVedant.com. Thank you for listening to Curious Vedan, and don't forget to rate and leave comments.
1: Thank you so much and uh, we'll see you again very soon.